For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Hey folks, welcome back to the Drake cast. Last week we brought you the first chapter of this mini-series we're doing, and we're calling it The Road Trip. It's kind of a recap of the last three months where Rex, Paul, and I crisscrossed the country with the Fly Fishing Film Tour. Part one of this miniseries ended with the two bait-chucking friends in southern Washington that I met on our way to Portland. After cruising through southern Washington, there were some big things on the horizon. So once again, here's the crew. Yeah, great people in Portland. It was just an awesome place. That venue was really cool, but the weird part was like, as we were setting up our stands, there was a brunch comedy show going on, and we kind of got... We got put on center stage there for a minute. They really called us out. I wouldn't say hassled, but we were heckled. (laughs) We were at least heckled. (laughs) Yeah, just trying to do our job behind the stage, setting up for the show. And so they get on stage, the two comedians that were hosting the event. And what what did it start with? (laughs) So the comedians basically introed introed their brunch thing and then started a comment about the big burly men that were setting up the booth back here and how that we were real men. <laughs> oh, and then Elliot got called a teenage something. One of the comedians was making a joke about being afraid of teenagers and kind of looked over at Elliot and was like, how old are you? And <laughs> while we were out there, a friend of mine who guides up out of Duluth, Minnesota. Lucky. <laughs> Lucky Brian Porter or Brian Lucky Porter at Lucky Porter. Um, <laughs> and you actually met Lucky in a previous episode of this podcast. I came back after you got pricked, so I think I'll probably... Oh, here he is. You got him over there. Anyway. Oh, yeah, he's right there. Watch. Pull your rod inside me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a little... <laughs> that, that was that awesome, little. dude. <laughs> episode number 26, Heavy Metal Fly Fishing Through the Ice where he, Hansi, and I went out spearfishing for pike with the help of some flies. He has winters off because muskies aren't biting legally in the winter, so he uh, came out and joined us at the Portland show. And from the Portland show, we were heading out to the Oregon coast, and this was a big deal. We'd spent the previous week really cranking our way through half a dozen shows, and for the next five days, we had nothing to do besides fish for steelhead. We had been dreaming about this for a while, and finally we were there. That Sunday after the show, we met the editor of the Drake magazine, Tom Bai, on a river near his place on the Oregon coast, and set off to find some fish. The real goal here was to catch a steelhead on a swung fly, but in between swinging holes, we decided to float some bobbers and beads from the boat. And that was our first introduction to the Oregon coast, where had you guys ever fished it before? No, never, man. This was this was definitely different. This was unique, and this is the first time we really got to experience Oregon. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nice. We knew we were going into an extended stay there, so uh, woke up early and kind of got ourselves there early afternoon. Went to God, what was it? Market and groceries fi- and firearms store or something yeah. like that. Groceries or, and firearms. Groceries and firearms. <laughs> Hell of a place. Uh, picked up licenses there and basically just booked it straight upstream, and met up with Tom. 
We fished for like four or five hours and got a taste of what it was all about. Yeah, Paul, you got that wild fish. Yeah, I got a wild fish from the boat as we were drifting downstream and had to do some ninja moves. Lucky was on the sticks and we're rowing down and the, the fish ran under the boat twice. We were doing 180s between a, a, a boulder garden and all sorts of crazy things, overhanging trees and branches. And, and not long after Paul hooked up and landed that beautiful wild fish that had been swimming in our dreams for the previous month, Lucky found himself one as well. Dirty bead. <laughs> Lucky, what cast was that for you? Yeah, I was about to In the say. state of Oregon, what number cast? I don't know. <laughs> Not ten. <laughs> whoa, 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 Paul. <laughs> But as soon as it was there, it was gone. Paul? Oh, just came off on the rocks over there. Yeah. I don't know if it broke. I started giving it some heat because it was trying to get to that side. What's your just tippet? Just pulled the hook. What's your tippet, bud? Give me a break. She started digging real hard for that, and I put the brakes on, pulled the hook, though. Didn't leave a hook in her. <laughs> it explains That's it good. that hook set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mended it as it was going by because it kind of did a weird drag down. Like, like no, there's not a fish on there. I just started fishing this run. I was set. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Dude, hook fish. <laughs> Hell yeah, that was a pretty solid fish. I'm glad I didn't leave a hook in There's always this guy at this trailer, James Earl Winter. Yeah. So many times come around. Sweet, pull it in two steps like morning. The dude's just out there. of his trailer like in his underwear down here. First <laughs> ride in the morning, they go back always up. on it. But by the afternoon, yeah, he passed out drunk on the wall. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> it was the kind of in between water, so I was like mending it to go downstream and it kind of was dragging. I thought it was just the current. I was like, oh no, that's actually water fish. Feeling the energy of all these fish. I kind of low-holed Lucky and jumped into his spot, and on about my 10th cast, I too hooked one. But that fish also didn't last. I think, personally, that was, that was one, of my, uh, one of my favorite days, because I'm not really proficient in uh, two-handed casting, but um, being across the river from Tom when we were you know, fishing, uh, and asking him for pointers and, and learning and, and being told stories, you know, swinging the same run with him. That was that was one of those memories I really won't forget and one of the cool things about being on the road. You meet awesome people that are typically really, really amazing anglers. We ended the float right at dusk and that night we drank whiskey at Chateau Tom and got really excited for the next five days of fishing. We'd only been on the water for four hours and had already hooked three. Things were finally coming together. Or so we thought. The following morning, fueled on the energy from the previous day's catch, we decided to try another river. And those beautiful, and we worked hard swinging runs and drifting bobbers, 
we didn't poke a single fish, and the only ones we saw were as they were swimming away from the boat. Do you want to just push it? Not really knowing what to do, we decided to hit the previous river where we had hooked the three fish. God, that slides. Right, I know, that's why, let's just put Dangerous. This we slid the boat down a private access site that required a 10 foot drop over a bunch of roots. You want that anchor beaner? So let's, I have it right here. Okay. I wonder if we want the whole strap or just half of it. Probably the whole Okay, this is where... Alright, so... If it goes, just get out We of might way. need... Paul, you want to just double down on the strap up there oh, and just try yeah, and lower? You got straps? Yep, you can probably let go of that, right? After running the shuttle, we were ready to roll. Look, you want to tell me just what's happening, not where we are, but like what the river's looking like, what the day's looking like? Ready to go for a toboggan ride down the Nutsucka, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Rub-a-dub-dub, four guys in an abpose tub. That should be fun. <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> Not at all, but I like it. Somebody want to give me a what scene set? Uh, it looks what like we're uh, mostly mostly sunny here today on the uh, top secret river that everybody's fishing. <laughs> uh, I guess we got low water. It looks like and four guys in a three-man boat. So looks like we're set up pretty well. To make the most out of the day. <laughs> Doing a little bit of a party float here. And why'd we come back to this river? Well, we got into a couple fish here the other day, so we'll come back and see if there aren't a few more around. Wow, ones. I, uh, I want wow, those nasty man. hatchery fish so I could womp them with my womping stick. So, thoughts on bonking hatchery fishes? It's never bothered me. I don't know what the deal is out here, but at home we whack them. I think that uh, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things happening with steelhead management and you know right now i'm on a river where i just really want to kind of catch steelhead and i'll be happy if it's a hatchery steelhead i'd be more happy if it's a wild steelhead if i catch one will i bonk it yeah why not you're gonna bonk one of your hatcheries yeah i don't really want it's a fish a, it, flopping around our boat today That's no, why don't know, we don't really have enough space i don't know if i really want to kill a fish just because yeah. you know just because you can. Just because you know that wild fish and and hatchery fish might interbreed and that might lead to like the dilution of genes. That's you know the over time. Bonka yeah, back I mean, home. Yeah, but. That's, that's the thing is, there's there's so few that. fish here, mm -hmm. and then there's so many so few opportunities that for people to actually connect with them. It feels kind of feel bad. To almost selfish yeah. stealing a fish out of the river because there's only Absolutely. however many. But my thought is, if you put that hatchery fish back, some bait dude. Might catch that one instead of a wild one. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, that's true. Sure. And then be happy oh, yeah. enough to oh, not no, no. cut the adipose fin off a different fish or something, yeah. But at the same time, you know, if it does interbreed, are you diluting the stock? That day quickly turned into more of a drinking event than a fishing event because we just weren't seeing any fish. What's the allure of steelhead for you guys? 
Oh man. Well, so for me, I I went to school over in Central New York, so <clears throat> I had good access to Great Lakes Steelhead, particularly Lake Ontario. Um, and I'd grown up trout fishing and basically heard stories of this these rivers that had these huge oversized trout that would basically eat a fly, go completely berserk when you hooked them. And I almost thought it was fake until I actually went up there and started to fish for them. So got a taste of the steelhead bug in a completely artificial man-made thing and not, they're not steelhead, but they're, they're something all of their own. Um, in any case, it, it set me off on this quest to actually want to catch a wild one just because I've heard this whole argument between this Great Lakes fish and then what the real one is and like what it represents. So for me, it had just been, it kind of took the whole experience full circle where I, the year prior, had finally gotten to hook into some wild fish on the Washington coast. And it just, it set me off on this kind of obsession. I, I, I love the whole idea of going out and only being able to fish a 10 mile stretch and have shots at 50 fish. I mean, you really, you're put to the test, they make you work for it, and it just makes the experience of interacting with them that much more special. So, I, I mean, I just, I think they're just some of the most badass fish that swim, and I like to be able to connect with them in some way. As far as Oregon goes, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever had the privilege of fishing. I mean, the rainforest, there's massive cedars and uh, giant hemlock trees, everything's covered in green. And so to be able to target such beautiful wild fish in, in, in a place and, and just be humbled, because <laughs> you don't, you really don't catch very many fish. Sometimes you don't catch any at all. And um, I think it's just a, a beautiful place to fish and a beautiful place to appreciate nature. Yeah, I think in the last, in the last year, I've spent roughly a month in wild steelhead waters, and I think I've landed three. And they've kicked my ass, and I'm still crazy about them. Yeah, and the place is incredible. It's one of the more beautiful areas of the country. I, arguably my favorite span of time on the tour was on the Oregon coast. And it had, I didn't hook a fish at all in six days of fishing. And it had absolutely nothing to do with the experience of actually catching something. It was just great group of guys, unbelievable scenery, and pursuing something that I'm really, really in love with. Let's not forget about the uh, free dry fly whiskey that also accompanied that adventure along with the legal marijuana in the state of Oregon. And there's a long history of steelhead in my family. Just after World War II, my grandfather fell in with some fishy folks who introduced him to the Brule River in northern Wisconsin. Hey dad, are you there? Yep, I'm here. And a few years ago, I called up my dad to talk about my grandpa. Your grandfather was a dyed-in-the-wool steelhead fisherman. So I started steelhead fishing when I was about 10 years old. And from ages 10 to about 32, I probably went almost every year with him and never caught a steelhead in all that time. So at least I come by my lack of fish honestly. But I know that my father, and I like to think that my grandfather, found value in just being on the water. Because especially the Oregon coast, it's just a stunning landscape. But again, following in the footsteps of my old man, we didn't catch any fish. That 
yet. The next day, I stayed back to do some work while the other three went out. And when they finally made it back to the cabin that evening, they had some news to report. It sort of happened. Sort of, sort of happened. We got one. Oh, hell yeah! Yeah. It was ridiculous here. It was absurd. Polly got it. Um, it was so ridiculous how it happened. <laughs> when you hear someone else tell it... My words won't come out. <laughs> Where'd you guys go? We did, we did the same stretch that we did. Yeah, I mean, we just felt confident just because we saw those fish in that particular water and knew that there, were, there was fish there, there weren't very many people. And I mean, there was one other, one other boat went through while we were there. Um, and like, we kind of called that run because we stopped at the head of it and covered the shit out of it swinging. Yeah. And it looked like all the riffly stuff at the top, like that that was going to be the spot. There's a big trough in the middle of it. There was a lot of good cuts and a good current to it. And then we were like, all right, let's get in the boat and just start rolling down. And it was the same type of deal as that water that you and I saw those fish with Tom in, where it's like there's a, a little bit of a trough in the mid-river, but then all that shelfy stuff at the end towards the tail out. And Paul had his rig in the water. And as he was bringing it up to make a cast again, like, 20 feet, like, in front of the boat, this steelhead rolls on his beat while he's stripping it up. Like, we boil. see a big boil on the water. I saw the splash. Like, oh, it was, yeah. It was, we, also, we saw, like, a lot of surface yeah. commotion. And so, he just, like... I, As we're floating by. And Paul flipped it back in. I thought... I was in the back and just thought that the thing spooked. But, like, literally flips it right back onto the shelf up in front of where the fish is. And at that point, we saw a fish. There's there were, like, two or three of them. We just saw them. Yeah. And within like, I don't know, four seconds of the bead being in the water, the indicator screaming upstream. And the thing just, yeah, stuck it perfectly. And like, the fish flash. must have turned around immediately on me, and I felt absolutely no tension. I didn't see the fish. You thought it was gone. Yeah, You thought it was gone, and the bead on. was like tracking downstream. Because it's super clear, extent. and you can see that in that stuff. Well, <laughs> it jumped, it ran upstream. It was a hatchery fish. <laughs> it was a hatchery fish. I mean, it's still just a great-looking fish. It would have eaten anything. You could have swung a beer can in front of that and fish. And we did swing around. We swung so many We just didn't today. swing down into it. We swung everything we possibly could. We covered so much water. We saw some fish and some tail at the end of the day. Other than that, dude, damn steel. Dude, it's, they're stupid. Why are they stupid? Because <laughs> they eat. They eat dry fly bobber or dry hard, fly beads it's not hard to catch them when you get it in front of them or when you even get close to them it's just like finding them it's finding one fish that's going to eat like in point proven that thing that thing would have eaten anything yeah. it just so happened that we happened to like see it with enough time for it to just actually respond <laughs> um what I'm else happened? Racing around trying to we had I had another shot at the same type of deal we just spooked some fish off some ledge and I had a shot at it. My cast, my cast was good. It just, I we went through the whole drift, and the whole thing was just bundled up. So did not drift in front of that fish. I, mean, I think we might have seen one other group. You saw some at the end, didn't you? There was one tail out where the fish were in a really fast current at the very end of the V. It was just weird water, and like it was consistent. If you found a, I'm not consistent, but like all the fish we saw, they were in that. Yeah. What are they doing there? I think I think they're moving up. I think they're making us upset. 
<laughs> They're definitely messing with our minds, that's for damn sure. They just probably bumped out of the last run and just got onto the shelf. It's just so coincidental when you're gonna go across a tail out that the fish had just moved out of the previous hole. Well, congrats, guys. Uh, it was a Thank lot you. of work. We fished hard today. We're tired. We swung, swung everything we Let's could. Let's go to Moe's, not Moe. Let's go to Moe's. <laughs> we, I mean, we swung literally everything we could and just ran our bobbers between and had lines in the water the whole time. We were... Diligent. <laughs> Why didn't you bonk them? We were talking about it, man. We just... doesn't feel right to just bonk a fish. Just one fish. You know, I mean, maybe one fish mating with a wild fish. Yeah, maybe it is worth it to bonk it, but how can you possibly kill all of the hatchery fish in the river? And is one person doing their part by simply killing one fish? And honestly, I think any of us would have been stuck to catch another fish today if it was a hatchery fish or a wild seal. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have given two shits. I mean, I we, care worked, about we worked wild so hard be... for that fish. It felt, it felt dirty killing it. Three days for that fish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, we haven't... How many man days? Like four plus four, no, five plus four plus three. That's a lot of days. That's like 12 and a half days of fishing. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like it. <laughs> sure does. Uh... And so like the last couple days after really putting in time on the boat, we decided to hike um, upstream on one of the rivers that we had been on. We had heard there might be fish there, but that it was just like one of the most beautiful places you could be. And can you tell us just about like your experience up there? We'd been we'd spending a, been spending a lot of time on this trip floating because we had the boat. We wanted to be able to cover water, um, and obviously we we knew fish were few and far between, so we felt that was kind of our best tactic to actually put something in front of a fish that might eat. And then we heard about this stretch of water upstream that was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, but before we could get to that stretch of water, we faced a couple setbacks. So, so what's going on right here? So, start the day, we've kind of been all over the place of where we're actually going. The river we've been fishing has been decent, but kind of slim pickings. We've heard from stuff up north that's been good. We've been driving up the side of a mountain for like four miles now, really through the jungle, like just cliffs on either side. And it was looking great. There was no one around. and. Then we came to a big landslide. So we've got like, what would you say? 30 yards of the cliff up above the road has just dropped off. Huge landslide. Yeah, there's like 10 trees <laughs> laying across the road. Uh, so it's a little bit of a little bit of an obstacle. It looks like though, just kind of looking at Google Maps that we can go up and around. Up and around this pile of trees? <laughs> yeah, you gotta take it a good 20 yards up the cliff kind of drive on a few logs and you're good, you're in. Cool. <laughs> so just something that you really needed to see, beautiful, clear, clear run just in this absolutely gorgeous area, um, trees hanging over. It's just absolutely stunning. And so the whole experience of getting out of the boat and actually spending time walking and just seeing what's around you and kind of slowing down, taking your time, working your way upstream was just, it was incredible. So where were they seeing them? Oh, it's got to be up top here, too. So where were you guys seeing them down below? We saw the first one. See that? Not this big rack, but the one below it. Yeah. It was, was that another fish behind it? It was just upstream of it, just hanging out. Is there one finning right? Yep. 
Yeah. He's just to the left of the huge rock. That, that day was probably my favorite day on tour. I said Oregon was my favorite block of time. That was probably my day. And again, had absolutely nothing to do with fish. We did not touch a fish. Uh, saw some, but did not touch anything. And I think some people might say like, oh, you're just saying that because you didn't catch any fish. But you gotta be out there to really see it. And also be able to take the step back and not just like look at that pool that you know there's a fish in the bottom of that you may have spooked and spend four hours trying to get an egg or something in front of it. Like you move on and you see more and you get more out of the whole experience. I agree. Yeah, I mean, everyone had the exact same reaction to it. It really, everyone was extremely, extremely, extremely content not even poking a fish. And while we didn't land any fish on the swing, it was still an incredible time out there. Before we move on, I have to leave you with one more story from my old man. I have to tell you the story of how I caught my one and only steelhead. Oh, I thought you didn't catch one. No, I, I did catch one. I said I went 30 years without catching one, but I did catch one. Okay, let's hear it. All right, so my father had died in the spring and his body was cremated and I decided that some of his ashes ought to be returned to one of his favorite spots, which was the Brule River. So a friend and I went up that fall, it would have been right around his birthday on October 18. Well, we fished in the morning, and at that point my friend George says, where's Bill? And by that he means my grandfather Bill's ashes. And I said, oh, I, I forgot him, let's bring him down with us. So we went down to the river and we got out into the stream and we got right above a nice hole and uh, we said just a little uh, remembrance and I poured the ashes in the river. And they, I remember specifically them swirling around uh, the pool and around my, my waders and then all of a sudden they sort of took off downstream. Well, about 45 minutes later, I had walked downstream to another hole, and bang, I got one on. And it was a great run or two with the fish, and I was able to successfully land it. And I took that hook out of its mouth, and I looked at that fish, and uh, it's, uh, it's a little eerie, but I swear that that fish kind of turned its head towards me and looked me in the eye, and then it jumped back in the river, and off it went. And I always feel that that was the spirit of my old man coming back one more time just to say hello, and off he goes into the river. So I've always held that as a, as a very pleasant memory. And even though we had to leave Oregon, the steelheading wasn't quite over. This seems like a logical spot to take a break. When we come back, we get to hear about some steelhead action on the other side of the country. As always, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. Since we're talking exclusively about steelhead today, I figured I'd let you know all the great steelheading trips offered through Yellow Dog. Over in the Pacific Northwest, Yellow Dog has trips on Oregon's Rogue and Deschutes Rivers, and then up the coast in Washington, you can go and fish the Klickitat and the Olympic Peninsula. These are great locations for a quick weekend or a week-long getaway. If you're looking to dive deeper into the West Coast steelhead, Yellow Dog has some great destinations all throughout British Columbia and Alaska. 
If you want your reel to scream, make sure to book your trip through Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. You can find them online. This episode is also sponsored in part by Scott Flyrods. Since we're on the topic of steelhead, the other day I called up Josh Lively, who guides for Roaring Fork Anglers in Basalt, Colorado. And he told me about his favorite spay rods that Scott makes. So here we have Scott Radian in the two-hand series. And what I really like about this rod is we don't have to go to the west coast in order to swing flies. We can do it right here in your hometown. Almost every river has an application for this. And I really like the long line nymphing you can do with a two-handed rod. And then obviously finding where fish are and being able to locate fish by swinging flies and doing different things. To find your favorite steelhead chasing tool or any other fly rod, visit scottflyrod.com. Alrighty, back to the show. Test, test. And if you could just sit a little bit closer yeah. together. Situated. <laughs> Not like we haven't, you know, spent the last three months sitting close to each other. Where we were last was we had just finished up Oregon. We were about to talk about the cruise from there. From Bend, it was Sun Valley, then Salt Lake City, backtrack back to Boise, Idaho. Then from there to Boulder, we resupplied more Bobo's bars and Stonefly magazines, and then drove out to Michigan. So we basically, we had like four or five days from when we did our resupply to when our next show was. The choice was pretty much left to us of you guys can take your time and spend like three days just kind of splitting up the ride or just sprint the hell out there and go fish a river for a day, possibly two. So being the people we are, we obviously opted to just get the hell out there and get some time on the water. So we knew roughly the area we were going into, but really, I mean, I, I know for myself, I had no idea what this place looked like, oh, anything God. about it. I had no clue. This was this was a great lake trip that I, I assumed was a little bit more rugged. Like I've always heard of like the upper Michigan steelhead rivers being like ultra pristine and out there. And I just didn't know where really we were going. And so we we get into the area and it kind of dawns on us. There's been some huge, huge flood like a couple weeks before. So the couple rivers we drive up to are flooded well beyond the bank. Like like just beyond flood stage. It's like everything just underwater. So we're kind of looking around and be like, oh shit. <laughs> we just wasted a lot of time. <laughs> Pull into this little town and find the one shop. It's not a fly shop. It's a fishing, fishing and tackle shop. And so we walk in. Because of course the Michigan DNR license distribution website is down. For Somebody sure. needs to get on this all across the country. Yes. Like, if, if DNR, if you're listening right now, I vote and I'm coming for you. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No. So we couldn't get licenses. So basically, we had enough intel to fish, but obviously needed to get the proper paperwork. So pull into this local fish and tackle place, go about trying to get our licenses. But to start, we walk in and just ask what the deal is with the Dewajiak, because we're sitting right outside of. St. Joe was just flooded, huge, like right up to the bridge in town. It was real flood stage. This wasn't just like normal rivers normally at 2,000 F, you know, CFS and then bumped to like six. Like the thing went like 15 to 20, like way out of its river. So we, we asked the people, we're like, so what, what do we do right now? Like, can we, can we even fish? We don't even know what the Dewajiak looks like. 
And we have no idea. All we see is this gigantic river right in town that is totally and completely unfishable. So they're like, well, yeah, the Dwajiak, you could probably catch something in there, but you're probably only going to want to go walleye fishing because those steelhead, they've been swimming around in all the sewage that's been running out from this flood. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, are they there? They're like, well, yeah, they're there, but you're not going to want to eat them. The walleye, on the other hand, you're going to want to eat those. <laughs> so these people just keep pushing walleye fishing on us. Like, no, don't don't even bother with the steelhead. You can't eat them, and they're not going to bite anyway. So just don't even think about it. We're like, well, we're going to try. As well as this whole time, we're saying, oh, we're just catch and release angling, and we have our fly rods. <laughs> and they're pushing walleye with worms so hard. And they couldn't wrap their mind around this whole idea of just letting a fish go. They they just wouldn't have it from us. But finally, you want to catch a fish and you don't. You want to put it back. You're gonna get one. What of the, the hell is that? You're gonna get one of those sewage fish. Yeah, you're gonna get one. As well as just to set the scene of this place, like fluorescent bulbs, half of which are burnt out, like tackle that was probably stocked, some of it in the '80s, on the wall still, dusty ass mounts all over the wall, and then just this like congregation of six people sitting behind the counter in the back of the shop one of the dudes rather old in a wheelchair just completely immobile his wife and then four other people just sitting around jawing it took them three minutes to even engage us walked into their store looking to buy things yeah it was just a weird scene so so then we go into the process of actually trying to get a get fishing licenses which i mean for anyone that's used a computer, is really it's pretty fluid. Given the given the DNR website, not all that easy. But the gentleman, to his credit, he stuck it out. But I don't think it ever used a keyboard before. <laughs> Trying to plug in our information just legitimately took what forty five minutes to an hour to get three fishing licenses. I went next door and ordered a pizza, and they said be back in thirty five minutes, and it was done by the time we came back. <laughs> This was halfway through the process. And we were so excited going in. We're like, all right, we'll get a full half day out of it. And we spent like an hour and a half in this shop, like trying to get through this whole concept of not fishing for walleye and then buying our license. But that's also what made this story so good, though, was that we actually had enough time to really understand what was going on in this little tiny shop. Like, this was not your normal occurrence. Like, And one of the best lines was one of the younger guys, who is obviously computer literate, came up the other the older gentleman who was checking us out was very flustered, probably because we were all visibly anxious. I was, at least. And calls the other guy over and kind of, like, throws his hands down and says, like, I can't do it. On the verge of crying? Like, there, there was... was yeah, it was near breakdown. And this guy, the young guy comes up and goes, no, you just got to click on this and this and this. And he goes, don't worry, take your time. Those fish aren't going anywhere. Meanwhile, we're looking at our watches like, yeah, but the sun is going down (laughs) so in any case we finally get through all of this ridiculousness and roll out to the river hey dude oh thanks for uh being on board with this yeah this is a good call good good program i'm super excited about the concept of uh you know that there's some steelhead that are gonna eat our fries right now and i mean we're greed like we're pretty much told to go fish close to the dam. Now, that's what we'd heard from 
other people, the shop guys, like kind of referenced it, but basically told us that all you get is walleye or some piece of some sewage fish. Um, so we pull up to this scene, and it's it was a very it was a flooded river, way higher than it should have been. And then you go up to the dam, and it's like big break walls on either side, and a couple guys on each bank with uh, spinning rods and worms and I mean blue jeans and boots. I mean it's really. And how about the beauty of the the local scenery? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of nice. You just have to blend in with the locals sometimes at the local park. Make sure you have a bottle of whiskey with you so they don't think you're too out of the, well, out of the ordinary. The big difference is you're in waders and you've got a fly rod and all these guys are in jeans and muck boots with big old bobber chucking rods. But, yeah, the ambiance is nice. You know, you got a nice big old dam. There's a lot of water. I mean, it's high. A lot of garbage. I saw a, pres- a lot of garbage. Yeah, there's a, a bottle for prescription drugs down there. Earlier, I saw them, you know, floating in the water. That's always nice to see. Oh, shit, dude. You should have grabbed it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Any yeah, needles yet? Any needle sightings? No. Yeah, lots I, of cigarette butts, though. I stepped on some stuff that crunched a little funny, but... <laughs> I haven't been poked yet, so that's good. I think I'm hepatitis free. <laughs> like a blue-collar fishery. I mean, like... To the T, garbage everywhere. Just not what you'd call a picturesque fishery by any means to, at to, all. To give Elliot some credit, he's like, guys, I think we ought to grab that half-finished bottle of whiskey out of the back of the truck and bring it over there with our pizza. We'll fit in just fine. And so, I mean, as <laughs> as we walked up, one of one of these dudes that's just chucking worms right up against the dam, <laughs> boom, hooks into a <laughs> nice steelhead, ten plus pounds. Like, there's fish here, and they're actually eating, and it's this crazy crazy like back eddy right up against the corner of the dam that i guess in high water these fish would just stick in yeah so this guy has his fish on for a while and he's running around on this break wall that's maybe what five feet above the water that's where he's standing and of course he doesn't have a net and he tells us it's like the 20th fish he's hooked that day sitting there all morning how have you landed anything like what have you been doing so we go back to the car too. This is also it's a good, good dynamic. So he's with his girlfriend, who's not fishing at all. And we go back to the car after we see this guy hook up. We finish our pizza, and we tell him like, "Listen, if you hook another fish, we've got a net. So just give us a shout. We'll bring it down." And we we're up at the car rigging up, and we hear this hooting and hollering down from the water. And then we're like, "Oh, he must he must be hooked up." We're kind of like trying to grab the net. And we see his girlfriend just on a full sprint coming around the corner, gets over to us, is like totally doubled over, like heaving. She still had a marbred up for hanging from her She's mouth. Like, Haven't run that far in years. <laughs> Grabs the net and goes back. And like, meanwhile, at, like at some point on this run up, we heard her boyfriend lose the fish. This was within 10 yards of her taking off. <laughs> that he's like, oh, I got off. And we're like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And she she's just kept sprinting. Coming. And just to set the scene, there is a parking lot next to this old hydroelectric dam that is no longer in operation. It's brick. It's got a like pump station on the side. And then the dam itself is maybe what? The runover know. was probably 25-ish, maybe 30. <laughs> Top of the actual dam, another 10 feet above it. But and then the river, how wide do you think it was? 25 yards probably. Yeah. At, I mean, right, was, right at the dam, maybe. And it's like the classic michigan rust belt scene of just like this dilapidated brick building with graffiti all over it and just garbage everywhere 
And you're like, oh, at one point there was industry here, but it is no longer here. But there were still steelhead. There were a lot of steelhead. So we started by... So many steelhead. I mean, yeah, so we, we started by trying to actually fish the river. So we walked downstream, like tried to find some inside bends that had, were a little bit softer. Didn't do anything. And so when we were looking at the dam, everyone was fishing the break wall on the parking lot side. And we're like, all right, well, there's another side of this dam. <laughs> there's probably fish wait, on wait, that wait, side wait, too. You, you looked at you missed out one of the most important points though. Like so this guy who's worm fishing, he's sitting there and he's like, Oh yeah, they've been jumping all day and we're like, Really? Still have been jumping into the dam, huh? And we just stand there for like no less then 20 seconds in like a six to eight pound steelhead jump straight out of the water four feet high and just go straight in the dam. And we're like, oh my God, they're here. On the other <laughs> side of the dam too, which no one was fishing. Yeah. He was like, yeah, just Everywhere. sit there and watch. They're jumping. And so we saw like four jump in. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> like, all right, there's definitely fish there. So we, tr we tried to fish downstream for 10 minutes, didn't happen. And we're like, all right, well, <laughs> we know there's fish on the far side of that dam. Let's just go see if we can come up with a way to actually fish to them. So the break wall on the far bank was by the dam, 20 feet. Oh, dude, at least. Yeah, I think it was roughly 20 <laughs> feet with a chain link fence Let's just, at the top of the break wall. So you're, you're, you get to the other side and you are hanging your fly rod over this chain link fence, running your rig another 20 feet down below you. And we've, we're fishing like a, I don't know, like a, a 15 foot pocket. <laughs> Even, dude, I mean, it's tiny. Oh. I mean, we figured out pretty quickly that there were a lot of fish stacked behind one rock, so we basically just took turns. And it was like I was downstream when this all started, so I didn't even know. I walked up and watched Paul fighting this fish at the bottom of the break wall, and Elliot like hanging over the side of the break wall trying to net this thing and it's like a six foot drop we've got oh we've got like a three foot landing net with us trout net mostly yeah and like it ends up and people were taking photos of us doing this but what we ended up doing as our solution was elliot would be the net guy i'd hold on to his belt while he hung off the side of the break wall and paul would continue to fight the fish elliot would like half dunk in and scoop it and then I had to heave Elliot up on top of the break wall. And that was how we were landing our fish. <laughs> and so, I mean, the first fish you lost, right? And then you lost like an 18-pounder. I lost one of the biggest. How many? This, you told this story to someone the other day. We were just talking about steelhead. And you're like, yeah, I've been steelheading. And I can say that because I've spent two months steelhead fishing. And I've hooked like seven fish and landed like two or three. Oh, we were talking about this earlier when we were talking like, about Oregon. Yeah, and it's so ridiculous that all of a sudden you show up in this dilapidated place and you're fishing up a 25-foot dam with an indicator rig and you hook into an 18-pound steelhead that runs into a river that's almost in flood stage. Like, the runs downstream were incredible. I mean, it it was, wasn't easy. It was silly. It, it was completely silly. The first two or three fish we hooked, like, this is all it takes. And then it, like, it slowed off a little bit. You'd have to rest it. But, I mean, that first afternoon, I think we hooked, what, nine fish in, like, three hours? Alrighty, what's, uh, what's happening right now? Wet. <laughs> it's wet and cold. Uh, we're hooking fish occasionally. It generally seems like you got to rest these holes, so we're hiding out in the car right now trying to warm ourselves back up 
And, okay, so we went and fished in Oregon for six days, four dudes fishing. What was the result of that? Ooh, uh, we hooked four fish and landed two. And right. three of the hookups came in the first five hours of that trip. Uh, so that was miserable. Well, not miserable, brutally tough. Um, how, how does this compare? Well, this morning within about the first hour and a half, I had three hookups, one fish. You had two and one, two and one, and you had one. Steelheading is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> fish that swim into the ocean are a lot harder to catch than the ones that come out of the lakes. That's. But I'm still pretty bird. impressed with how beautiful some of these fish are. I mean, I wouldn't say any of the fish we've hooked today fought any less harder than the fish that we hooked in Oregon. And these fish are ripping. They pull. They might be. <laughs> they pull. <laughs> they, they might be different from those ones that swim in the ocean, but they still are big fish that eat flies that are badass fish. So, I'd say 80% of our fish were hooked within the same five feet of each other. We kind of had an audience. People came over and started talking to us. Three different groups of people came over and, and, and talked to us. Well, because the one guy on the like the closer bank hooked like a, a fish or two, but no one else is catching fish. And we walk over with our fly rods where these guys are like, what the fuck are these Who guys are these doing over there? these waiters over there? What are they doing what over there? What is wrong with them? And just start to fully Sims now. Sims now. We got all our gear on. We don't look the part. Rex oh. has got a 12 and a half foot switch rod that he's checking the thing off. Let's just get that for on the record. <laughs> how I, long was your How long was your leader? I think. <laughs> so we got we got over the bobber rig, and then I decided. I decided I was going to make an improvised check rig off of this 25 foot break wall. So I think I built like a. I think it was like 32 feet or something like that is what it ended up being of like just straight leader. And it worked great. Big go, big go. Big head shakes. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. And she's going. <laughs> Look at that bend. Oh yeah. yeah buddy. That's a good fish right there. Hey, we got a jumper. We got a jumper. Beautiful looking fish. Dude, really, really gorgeous fish. See that? That's a tight hen. It is thick too. Yeah. And, and she kicked. Good program, right, buddy. Good program. <laughs> Three drifts in. All right, I guess we go to the other side now. We hooked into more pounds of fish that day, <laughs> other than like a banner day of silver fishing than I have ever witnessed in like a four hour period. They were huge fish. There were a couple monster fish that we hooked. And that also, it was a very good juxtaposition for your more classic steelhead fishing, which we did like, what, four days later? Up on the PM where we got, I wouldn't say our asses kicked, but it was tough, tough fish. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we did catch fish. We hooked like four, right, three, between our two boats. Yeah. But still, I mean, it, it was like the perfect juxtaposition of what yeah, we'd yeah. just seen, where it was like, <laughs> hold on, you stand on this rock and you're going to catch 15 <laughs> fish, or you float 10 miles and you hook two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you get why people fish the toilet bowl at. Yeah, I mean, if you if want to hook into one of those fish, it's going to be an experience you're not going to forget. Yeah, if you want something to pull on a line, go to that dam. I mean, there's a bunch of fish under it. You want a more traditional fishing experience, 
go float down a river that they're all spread out throughout. And, and there's a time and place for each. I Absolutely. would much rather to do the latter the vast majority of the time. But just the absurdity of that. Like, you had to appreciate the whole experience. And it also, I mean, we so this was our first fishing trip after the Oregon coast. So yeah, so it was a big break. We needed this. This was like, this is like the boys rallying. Yeah, it, it wasn't that we were angry at Steelhead, but we were, we were looking for some revenge. <laughs> Great. Did the PM... Drove down to Madison, put on a show there. And from there, I left you guys yeah. um, for the next, like, I didn't, I probably didn't see sad, it for three it weeks. It was a sad moment. It was like, yeah, three, three to four weeks. Yeah. Pretty so proper you, send off though. We had deep fried cheese curds and brats at a, at a bar and drink spotted cows at a local little, you know, you know, bar that loves the Green Bay Packers. It felt right, you know. You fished in China, didn't you? I didn't. You didn't. China was amazing, not fishing related, which every once in a while you need a non-fishing related trip. Yeah. But, <laughs> debatable. Right after we left Michigan, I went off to China for a couple weeks on vacation while Paul and Rex continued on the tour, which you'll get to hear about next week in part three of the Road Trip miniseries. Now, before we go, I want to take the time to plug another fly fishing podcast that deals exclusively with steelhead fishing. It's called Wet Fly Swing, and it's hosted by a dyed-in-the-wool steelhead fisherman who lives in the Portland area. It's got great storytelling, techniques, history of steelhead fishing all across the country, and you can find it anywhere you find your podcasts. So here's a taste of Wet Fly Swing. How's it going, everyone? I wanted to share a few tips from some of the guests we've had early on in the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Podcast. This provides a short glimpse and perspective from some of the best guides, tires, and casters, and steelhead fishermen in our area and in the world. I also wanted to give a big thanks to the Drake cast and Elliot for making the connection. So without further ado, here you go. Jay Nicholas on fishing it and keeping it wet, a prolific fly tire. And by tip, I, I suppose you don't mean a sink tip. No, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, it might be, it might be a sink tip, but just a general fly fishing, uh, fly fishing for steelhead tip. That's a terrible question. <laughs> you know, try to boil. Oh, so, so, if I could say one thing, I'll say two things. All right, two. One is pick a fly and fish it. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is keep the fly wet. Okay. Because you're not going to catch any fish if your fly is on the truck, you know, on your rod on the truck, in the yep. back of your truck, lean, it, lean up against the tree. Yep. Um, so keep it just basically, keep, you got to fish, you got to put your time in. Keep fishing. Yeah. Keep yeah. fishing, keep fishing, keep right. fishing because you're looking for yeah. the receptive fish. You got to cover water. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, whether, if you know there are fish in an area, yeah. you fish it and fish it yeah. and fish it. If you don't know there are fish here, you should move on and, yeah. and look for fish. That's right. Brian Chow on using both hands on the top or two with a two-handed rod there's two hands involved so you know we'll work with casts from with both hands on top and that is something that i you know i'm very um very it is very important in in my instruction is that i with a two-handed rod let's use both hands Mm -hmm. like i mean obviously there's benefits to both um off-shoulder casting but i want people to learn with both their hands on top so that for me honestly 
it just helps the brain. Mm. It, it helps the learning process and and doesn't build up these fake walls that we you know we put up and say I can't learn how to do this for whatever reason. Trey Combs on fish and how to know the run so well that you know every pebble. One of the greats. Uh, find a, a a run or two runs or three runs walk in mm-hmm. that you can get into walk and wade and. Uh, know that run at all water levels and know oh, that yeah. run intimately and how the fish move through the run and I, I think it's more profitable and more successful to know a couple runs extremely well hmm. than it is to get into a boat and, and float five or six or seven or eight or nine miles for yep. the day yep. and, try to, and try to make a cast here and make a cast there and most of your day is spent traveling that's right um and you're on you're on water that you do not know that well. Yep. Uh, when we fished the uh, Quinault uh, uh, Indian Nation water, there was a couple runs that I knew so well. I mean, I knew every pebble in the run, and I was <laughs> guiding the Japanese, and I could move a guy in that run to a spot where, and I would tell him exactly where to cast, and mm-hmm. it would swing through there. And if there was a steelhead in that run, that that guy would hook it. Pete Humphreys. Spay casting tips and holding the spay rod. Great Lakes Steelhead Guide. A couple of a couple of great teaching tips for beginners who are who are finding that they are using too much top top handle. There's a there's a couple of small things that might help. Number one is when we grip something with our thumb on top of the rod pointing upwards like holding on to a a hammer for example you always want to push with the hand when the thumb is 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 pointing up the blank so a nice little trick that can immediately help is take that thumb and put it around the rod and hold it in more of what i would call a fist grip Mm -hmm. so but hold it very lightly. I don't want the yeah. student gripping it tightly. I want you to hold it very lightly. Just touch touch your thumb to your index and your middle finger. Grip the rod lightly, but put the thumb around the blank. Don't put the thumb on the top. If that thumb's on top, it, it, it yeah. physically, you want to push. Right. And you can take some of that off by putting the thumb into more of a fist grip. Simon Gosworth focuses on intermediate lines in this clip one of the best bait casters in the world but i do fish the intermediate base skagit lines more than the floating ones because i just like the way they they just swing slower uh and i think there's no doubt they swing deeper because they're an intermediate base skagit line um but they, they get out of the hydraulics of the water system the top of the water column and they just give you a slower deeper presentation which when you're winter steelheading it in true winter conditions is everything about catching fish is those slow deep ones and not many people fish intermediate skagits i mean i, I see uh, yeah pretty well every line company makes them uh, but uh, any river i'm on i'm watching people casting and almost everybody these days fishes a skagit style line in winter fishing yeah but most of them fish floating lines and uh i guess we, we need to do more education because i think people are missing out when out fishing those intermediates type skagits So there you go. Fly fishing tips are just a small part of the overall show at Wet Fly Swing. 
At The Swing, stories are a big part of what we do as well. So come on over and listen to our guests tell their stories and their fly fishing journeys. Head over to wetflyswing.com show to check it out today. Thanks, everyone. Hope to see you soon. Alrighty. Thanks to everyone involved in these episodes, and a big thank you to you for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.